Rise up, O men of God. I would like to ask the men of God in, our, in the congregation this morning to stand up. Brothers, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. His kingdom tarries long. Bring in the day of brotherhood and end the night of wrong. The church for you doth wait. Her strength unequal to her task, rise up and make her great. Lift high the cross of Christ, tread where his feet have trod. As brothers of the Son of Man, rise up, O men of God. God bless you as men of God. On Father's Day this morning, I want to acknowledge the fathers among us. I don't have a Father's Day message, um, but in some ways, each of you is a leader, and so each of you is a father. And your participation in the kingdom of God will fulfill God's desire for you to be a man of God and a father. So you can be seated. Bring in the day of brotherhood and in the night of wrong. Powerful idea there. That the day of brotherhood will end the wrong. And following the example and path of Christ as a brother, as brothers of the Son of Man. I don't have a Father's Day message but I am thankful this morning as Kevin prayed, thankful for a heavenly father. And I don't, and I'm thankful for the fathers, the earthly fathers in my life, both my physical father and the men who have been fathers to me spiritually. I'm thankful for the fathers that are here this morning in our church and for the men who are godly examples as a father should be. And so I have just a tidbit for you this morning. Matthew 5, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth his reign on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. <clears throat> and if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the public and so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Fathers, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Following behind the idea of loving your enemies and doing good to those who don't do good to you. So what does that mean? What does that mean to us fathers? Well, that means a lot of things, but I have one specific thing that I want to give you this morning. It's from Proverbs 23, verse 26, one of my favorite verses. My son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. Every heart that you have been given responsibility over is a heart to be won. It is not a heart to be Manipulated is not a heart to be forced. It is a heart to be won. To bring them along with you. 
That's what God was saying there when he said, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, for he sendeth his reign on the evil and on the good. God sent Jesus to win our hearts so that he could be our father. And our role as fathers is to win the hearts of those that we have responsibility for. If you want change to happen, win the heart. Win the heart. I greet you this morning in the Master's name. I'm going to continue part four of my roles in the church message. So this is messages. This is roles in the church part four continued about couples, families, and singles. Um, Last time we looked at the idea of the fact that Jesus placed priority on the spiritual family above the physical family. And I I kind of brought up, but I didn't uh, fully discuss the, the idea that doesn't that create a conflict? Doesn't that create a conflict between the spiritual family and the physical family? But I kind of concluded with the idea that God gave us the priority of the spiritual to draw the physical family towards God. Leave that for a moment and we'll move on to something else. Thinking about roles of married couples. So last time I drew these circles of relationship. I'll draw them just a little bit different this time because I need to put more in the center. But in, in this these circles of relationship, we have the, the relationships that are distant, we have the, the cl- closer or mid, um, semi-close relationships, and then we have intimate relationships in the, in the center. And who should be part of this intimate relationship? And for the Christian, the number one is Christ. Christ should be at the center. And that's the priority structure that he gave. He said, you have to love me more than anything else. Christ, I have to be the center. Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. But the biblical view is that we, when we become believers, we come into Christ. We become part of his body. So a person becomes part of the body of Christ when they join their lives to Christ. So, in early church times, it wasn't uncommon for someone to become a Christian and their spouse to not be a Christian. And so you have a married couple here, a relationship, and the relationship of the one person was in Christ and the relationship of the other person was not in Christ. And Paul's instruction to this person who was in Christ was not to leave their spouse. It was to serve Christ in a way that demonstrated Christ to the spouse and would draw them into Christ. And so this relationship, this priority relationship here for this person, this in Christ relationship that was anchored there 
was anchored there primarily, given priority for the purpose of drawing others into Christ. But Paul said that someone who was a Christian and was planning to get married should marry only in the Lord, right? So only, so this relationship should be in Christ. But what were they before they were husband and wife? Brother and sister. Good. Keep that in the back of your mind. They're brother and sister. And then, maybe they have children. And so children are added to this relationship circle. But that is in Christ. And so that relationship is in Christ. And so the, the married couple that is joined together, that is first of all brothers and sisters and are united in marriage, that marriage is in Christ. And so that family unit, that new family unit, as it is joined together in Christ, is part of what builds up the church as a whole. And so the family, in this sense, is not in competition with the church. It's an enhancement of the church. God in His wisdom has given us a priority structure that appreciates human relationships. It doesn't deep depreciate them. It appreciates them. It makes them better. And He gives a distinct change of structure to the man who takes a wife. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so when uh, we talked about earlier about the responsibilities that the, that the Bible gives to different, different roles in a family, um, honoring your father and mother as a child. But then there's this distinct break when someone is, so when someone gets married, there's this distinct break of a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. And so there's this, there's this new unit that is created when a man and a wife get married. So we're all family here, so I can use a family illustration, right? So Angelina got married two years ago, and she gives a lot of priority to Chafin. But that's the way it ought to be. Because they are a new unit. They're a new home. And that new home can build up the body of Christ. So what can those... What, what is the benefit? How does this unit build up the body of Christ? That's one of the things we want to look at this morning. We're going to begin reading... I'm going to use an example from uh, Aquila and Priscilla uh, with Paul and Apollos. Acts... 18 verse 1, after these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. And so we have this couple here, Aquila and Priscilla, who were in Corinth, and Paul came to them, or when Paul came to Corinth, um, he started spending time or apparently living with Aquila and Priscilla and working in their occupation as tent makers. 
And while he was doing that, he was also working for the kingdom of God. He was reasoning in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so we see this couple providing hospitality for Paul as a man by himself, a single man. Now let's move to verse 24 of chapter 18. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught directly the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And so we have, here we have them also hosting this man Apollos, or not hosting so much as, as taking him aside as he began to, to reason and, and express um, through the baptism of John, the kingdom of God. They took him aside and they said, Jesus has come. Here's, here's the fulfillment of what you're talking about. And so not only did they, did they operate as a host, they also had a, had a place or a, they also had a function of um, encouraging and directing Apollos, teaching him in the way of God. Well, what's interesting about this is that both of these men, there's, there's no indication of either one of these men having a spouse, at least not in this context. And so what we can draw from this is, at least in part, is the fact that married couples have a unique opportunity to host and to engage with singles of both genders, whether it's an evangelist who is... Um, in the area and teaching and they can they can host him they can bring him in they can provide a place of um, a place for him to stay as well as as interaction but also they can provide a place of teaching so in first Corinthians 14 it talks about women not speaking in church, but to ask their husbands at home. And so somebody came to me here recently and said, so what about the single lady? What place does she have to go to ask her questions? And that's a valid question. Well, there is a place where the role, a role of couples in the congregation. A couple in the congregation, she can ask her questions to them. She can, they can have a place of interaction. Um, it's specifically speaking about the worship service there. It's not that she can't ask questions. It's that she shouldn't ask them in the worship service. And so she can go to someone and a couple and ask those questions and get input from both men and sisters, brothers and sisters. There's another function of a couple and that is that they bring children into the church. And probably the most pointed passages about them bringing their children in as faithful children into the church are 1 Timothy 3, 4. Um, One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. That's a qualification for an elder. But the context is, or the idea is, 
that as they're looking for that qualification, they're looking for a man who is demonstrating this with his family. And so there is to be men who are demonstrating this in their families within the church. Men are to be guiding their households, bringing those children into faithfulness. And then, 1 Timothy 5.14, and this is talking about women, I will therefore that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion of the adversary to speak reproachfully. And so that's a verse about women who are training children to be faithful. I'm going to say this about couples. Children should be the expectation of marriage. If marriage is a blessing and it's designed by and as a gift from God, and part of that privilege and blessing is that it is the way that God designed for children to be brought into the world. To think about marriage without an expectation of God giving that marriage children is to think about the privilege of marriage from a selfish mindset. And I'm not saying that there's not a time for us to recognize that maybe because for health reasons or maybe for, for other reasons, that that would be something that would be limited or cared about or that matters. But what I am saying is that children should be the expectation of marriage. God designed it that way. God made it that way. Godly homes are vital to a godly church. From the very beginning, marriage was to be the establishment of the human community. And it is godly marriages that have godly children that will produce a godly community that is the church. Now that does not mean that people can't come into the church without being raised in a godly home or from a godly background. That simply means that us in the church, couples that are in the church, need to have a vision for raising godly children that will be a strong backbone of the community. So we couples need to have a vision for a godly home and a godly church. Now, a vision is a good thing. It's something that's out there. Okay, It's out in front of us. It's something we're looking towards. It's something we see. But unless your vision is directing your daily action, it is nothing more than wishful thinking. So if your vision is not affecting you on a day-to-day -day basis, the decisions you're making day by day are not being affected by your vision, then it is just simply wishful thinking. So don't fool yourself because you have a good vision, but you're not doing today what makes that vision happen or finding out what makes that vision happen. And when that happens, when... The homes, when homes have a vision for a godly home and a godly church, and they're, they're actively pursuing that on a day-to-day -day basis, 
That puts the church in cooperation, not competition. And that leads us into not just couples, but families. This is pretty much a continuation of the last point. The church cannot replace the role of physical fathers and mothers for children. Each one of you who is a father or a mother must fulfill your responsibility as a father and mother before God for your children. God wants that close interaction day to day. It's necessary for young children. There's no way that the church can interact with people enough to be everything that they need to be. You must take your responsibility of training your children in your home. And so, you're not with the body of Christ every day. Maybe you have a few little souls in your inner circle of your home. You are with those little souls every day. And the representation that you are of Christ, Father that you are of God, and Mother that you are of the church, the representation that you are to them will be the establishment of their expectation of life in the future relating to both God and the church. At home, for your children, is where life happens primarily. And so as life happens primarily in your home, then their expectation is developed primarily in your home. Think about your home, and I think I've used this before, but think about your home as being the place where you go from holding your child with a closed hand to where you hold them with an open hand. That's what you want to happen between the time when your child is born and when they turn 18. When they're born, you have to give them everything. When they're 18, you want to have that hand open and they're still there because they want to be not because they have to be, not because you're holding them in. Now, this is where the church comes in. The church is the first place where you start to open that hand. Okay? It's where it's a safe community of people with whom you share the same values in which you can begin to open up that hand and let them be exposed to other people. Let them be exposed to other people's teaching. Who do you want to teach your children besides yourself? Hopefully, it will be the brothers and sisters of your local congregation. And you can begin to allow that to happen. And if you're on the same page with the rest of the people in your congregation, then they will fortify your position in the home, not tear it down. Are you catching the vision that I'm talking about for a church and a home cooperating together. You're, it's the beginning point where your child is beginning to adapt to a broader community where he's going to have an authority figure that's someone besides mom and dad. Very helpful thing for us is our Christian day schools. When your child goes away to the Christian day school and they're taught by someone who 
as of the same faith and practice as you are, and they come home and the teacher just didn't treat us fair today. And you say, well, that's your perspective. But you know what? She's your authority. Or he is your authority. And so, we're going to go with what they say, even if it's not perfect. Even if we have to take a little bit of suffering. Even if we have to take a little bit of pain. We're going to submit to that authority. And that helps them to understand that outside of the home there are other authorities. But you see, where do you want to open that hand? What what authority do you want to expose them to? Preschool, Sunday school class. The teacher is an authority in that class. What do you want your child to do? Do you want them to respect the class, respect the teacher? You should, even if the teacher makes a mistake. They still need to respect that position of authority. And if you don't help them to engage properly as you start to open that hand with those other authorities, then as the hand opens, then they will improperly engage with all the authorities in their lives. Big challenges. But the family needs to integrate into the church. So we have a circle here inside of a circle. What happens when we come together as a body? What needs to happen? Well, for you to start opening that hand, and for you to open that hand, the family has to integrate into the church family. The church family becomes part of a bigger family. And this is where I want us to think about the principle that I taught that, that I was talking about earlier when I said about the man and his wife marrying in the Lord, that she is first your sister. So when you come into the family of God, when you come into the church, when you walk through those doors on a Sunday morning, your wife is first of all your sister. And secondly, your wife. She is eternally your sister and in this life, your wife. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have a relationship with her. That's a husband-wife relationship. It means that your ministry is different in the church family than it is in, the, in your home. Your ministry in the church if you're a brother, your ministry is to the brothers. If you're a sister, your ministry is to the sisters. So when I walk through the door, my wife is first my sister. Dirk is my younger brother because he's also in the Lord. And so is Caden and Trevor and Mark and Wesley Wesley. He's younger than me. Mark is my older brother. Joe's my older brother. You see what I'm saying? We are a bride together of one husband, Christ. If we insist on keeping this circle intact too tightly, we will limit our ability to be a brotherhood. Now, I'm not talking about that we keep it intact as a unit. I'm talking about that when we insist on keeping it too tight while interacting with 
the church family, we will limit brotherhood. We were at D.C. here a couple weeks ago, and I had to be very purposeful with my eyes and with my mind while I was in D.C. It was a warm day, and people, there were many people that were not dressed modestly when we were there. We face that. As men, that's something that we face. Let's say that I failed. And I came to church the next day. It was on a Saturday. I came to church the next day and I heard a powerfully convicting message on purity. And I wanted to share. With, I was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I was convicted and inspired by the Holy Spirit to share with a brother. I'm going to feel the most comfortable sharing with a brother, obviously, and not sharing where it's easily going to be overheard by ladies. I'm going to feel I'm going to feel some some struggle with indecency to share that struggle with ladies present in the group. So I'm going to want to share with men. I probably won't care if it's a whole group of men. What point am I making? And ladies, you could probably think of some topics that would be the same way for you. The point that I'm making is this. Brotherhood, strong brotherhood is built with brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister interaction. Some of the deepest, most difficult things to share, we're going to want to share with the same gender because it is best understood with the same gender. Now, I'm going I'm to stir your thinking a little bit because this is, a, this is a topic that I've mentioned before, and it's not something that I'm particularly trying to push. I want to make that clear from the beginning. But I want you to understand that there's cost and effect to everything we do, and there's also cost and effect to patterns. And what we want to identify is patterns, and we, we have to be intentional about making sure that those patterns unfold themselves in our experience. And if we're not careful about those patterns, then we will end up with actually not reaching the goal. We might be doing things, we might be thinking they're fine, but we won't reach the goal. I've been part of several different congregations in my lifetime. Some of those congregations set segregated and some of them did not. Again, I'm not pushing this. I'm just using this as an illustration to help you to understand patterns. Okay? When, when we, if, if we, if we choose, and we have chosen at this point, and that's fine, if we choose to not sit segregated as a congregation, we will have to be more intentional about creating brother-to-brother and sister-to-sister interaction. Now, I'm not particularly pushing and saying that's what our congregation needs to do. And I want to commend you all as a church for the intentionality that I see happening in you all connecting with same gender after the service. But it's not really... So I was talking to somebody recently and we were discussing this and and 
I kind of illustrated this, this point, and he said, well, you know, as soon as our church service is over, our men start grouping up and our women start grouping up together. And, and I said, wonderful. That's the pattern. You see, that's the pattern. That's the fulfillment. But if we don't, if we aren't intentional, okay, so you can sit segregated, and if you don't have the pattern of getting together and sharing, then it's not going to work either. So it's not so much about the action as it is about understanding that intentionality has to happen in, this, in these brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister relationships. That's the point I'm really trying to make. Again, I commend you as a congregation, and I'm, I'm content with what we're doing as a congregation. I commend you for the way that you are intentional about that kind of interaction. It's vitally important to brother-to-brother, sister-to-sister relationships. All right. I find it a little bit actually awkward to talk about this because Dane and I have chosen to sit segregated and I don't want you all to feel like I'm demeaning by bringing it up. I hope that's clear. And it's actually not, even though Dane and I sit separately, it's not the same as segregated seating as a whole. And that's okay. I'm content. But there's another point that I want to make about it, and it's this. Do you question, because Dane and I sit separately, whether we love each other or not. You see, when you enter, when the family integrates into the church, if you come with a strong position, then you don't need to defend it. And I'm not saying that everybody that sits together is defending their position as, as a loving couple. What I'm saying is that her ministry to the sisters, if she is confident in, in her love, in my love for her and her love for me, then our ministry, me to the brothers, her to the sisters, is free. We can, we can freely be separated in the church. The problem of defensiveness comes when our position is not strong in the sense that we're not sure about those, that relational love. And so therefore we have to stay together because we have to somehow prove that we do love each other. Does that distinction is that distinction clear? So if we have strong family units at home, what point am I trying to make? If we have strong family units at home, they will strengthen the brotherhood as we engage brother to brother, sister to sister. Our strong relationships at home. <clears throat> the second thing that I'm trying to say with this about the role of families in the church, church is a place for families to safely integrate children into the community until they turn that 18 to 21. And then hopefully the church is the place where they have a strong enough core of, of peers and role models around them that they'll be able to safely interact with an ungodly world and remain faithful. And so the church is their safe haven. The place that anchors them. Not just the fact that it's a church, but that it's in Christ.
that they are in Christ and the church is in Christ. And together in Christ, they stand against all the other relationships that are out there that might draw, want to draw them away from Christ. Roles of singles. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 31 through 35. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away, but I would have you to know, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Now, in, some, in one of the verses that I read earlier, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, I would that the younger women marry. So we're not particularly lifting up singlehood in and of itself. But what I want to point out, there's a couple things I want to point out of this passage. One of them is that the church is the place, the church is the family where the single person can find and fulfill their role in God-given design for family, for being part of the family. And so the church offers the single a place to fulfill their God-given role. Now I need to make a clarification about something I said in relation to ladies. When I spoke about ladies, I talked about the, the movement from... Um, Maiden to matron. And the definition of matron is married woman in the strict sense. Okay, but that's not what I was referring to. What I was referring to was the movement from young and beautiful to the beauty within. Of the motherly beauty of an older woman who cares for and nurtures people who are around her. That's what I meant by moving from maiden to to matron. And we need, a, we need to have a, high, a vision for the high value that God places on maturity. For instance, God gives a value rank when he says, honor thy father and thy mother. He's saying that the young need to look to the old with honor. And so we need to have that same vision that God has in, in the fulfillment of our lives. The fulfillment of our lives is not to be, per se, for the ladies, young and beautiful, for the men, young, strong, and handsome. The goal for our lives, God's vision for our lives, is that we become fathers and mothers in the kingdom of God. And, and God wants that for singles too. And, and the, the, the church is a place where Singles can become fathers and mothers in the family of God. Single folks in the congregation are first, not single, but brothers and sisters. And we need to treat them that way, like they're brothers and sisters. In fact, a focus on singlehood can actually cause, to, cause them to feel alienated, even when we try to lift that lift that singlehood up 
it can still cause them to feel alienated because it brings an emphasis to their singleness. And so what I'm indicating is that we should emphasize and we should have our interest in helping them to feel like brothers and sisters in the family of God. Our tendency as people is to identify with those with whom we have the most in common. That's our tendency. It's the easiest path to take. So oftentimes, if there is a large group of, say, young men in a church, right after church, there'll be a large group of young those a large group of those young men will be together talking. I'm not saying that that's bad, but the tendency is those are the people with whom they have the most in common. And so it's the easiest for them to engage in interaction together. But it might be the most stretching, the most growing, for them to actually be involved in both people younger than them and people older than them. Because they might have to answer some questions from the people younger than them that will stretch their thinking, and they might have to engage with somebody older than them that will also stretch their thinking. Because there's some differences there. So married couples will tend towards married couples. And that leaves singles feeling singled out. So we need to treat them like brothers and sisters. And we need to make a conscious effort. Again, the the whole idea of intentionality, we have to make a conscious effort to include people outside of our comfort zone within the body of Christ. In the passage that I read, Paul highlights something about singlehood that I think we should value highly, and that is their ability to be free to serve, to, to have a clear focus. It's like what he's saying is they just have a, an opportunity to be at a place of very clear focus on the things of God. And we need to value that within the brotherhood and appreciate it. Free to throw themselves into the work of God. I have been so blessed and I've had both single men and single ladies as part of my church experience, and I have been so blessed by the singles in my church experience. They bring a lot to the church that is sometimes overlooked. So roles in the church, we're almost done. Each part of the body, a living, vital part of a family place where the lost children of this world, the children out there who are wandering around, who need adoption into the family of God, can find a home. And isn't that why we're here? Isn't that why we're here in Harrisonburg? To offer the lost children of the world a place to find a home. I hope it is. I'm going to expose a little bit of my ulterior motives in both the book Church Matters that we studied through as well as this series of messages. I was asked from the congregation to preach these messages and I was thankful for that because it gave me an opportunity to share some things that I feel like matter to us as a body here. When I came here as a pastor, one of my goals was to build a church culture that had the same ingredients as the book of Acts. And maybe you would have some different perspectives, but 
we are, we attract who we are. And if we are a Book of Acts church, we will attract Book of Acts people. And so the culture that we establish here as a church, our church is fairly new, and the culture that we establish will be very important to who we attract and the kind of church we are for the future. The church in the book of Acts was a church of power. And I've taught through that two years now at Heritage Bible School through the book of Acts. And there's two key ingredients in the book of Acts that I can see in the church there. Spiritual life and growth is number one. The power of the Holy Spirit giving life into the church and that growing spiritually. People grew spiritually tremendously and the church grew tremendously. The second thing is a loving family. The church in the book of Acts was a loving family. They loved each other tremendously. And my ulterior motive has been and continues to be to build a culture here with those ingredients. And I hope that these messages have been an encouragement to you in that direction. But it's not about what I do. And I hope these messages have helped you to see that. It's about what we do as a body. Because I'm only a mouthpiece in these messages. I hope that God has spoken to you. And I hope that you have been able, through God speaking to you, to more fully understand that you are in Christ and that through fulfilling your individual role as part of the body of Christ, we can grow up in Christ. I started this thing on family from Ephesians 3, talking about the the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And that's the context for Ephesians 4, where it says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all, and in you all. And that is our commonality. We all have this one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And we are brothers and sisters together in this congregation in that commonality. But then he goes on to say, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists And some pastors and teachers, so there you have the different gifts. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then catch this verse, beautiful. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Oh, brothers and sisters, that we could demonstrate Jesus to this community, to the people that we touch, that we were so excited about the body of Christ that people that we touch day by day would want to come and be part of the body that we have found. So how will we accomplish that? And there are three basic motivators in life And that's for the next message.